Chapter eighty three of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter eighty three How Jesus Spoke to Women. But why wasn't he as gentle with good women? said Leopold. Wasn't he? said the curate in some surprise. He said, What have I to do with thee to his own mother? A Greek scholar should go to the Greek, said the curate. Our English is not perfect. You see, she wanted to make him show off, and he thought how little she knew what he came to the world for. Her thoughts were so unlike his that he said, what have we in common? It was a moan of the Godhead over the distance of its creature. Perhaps he thought, How then will you stand the shock when at length it comes? But he looked at her as her own son ought to look at every blessed mother, and she read in his eyes no rebuke, for instantly, sure of her desire, she told them to do whatever he said. I hope that's the right way of it, said leopold for i want to trust him out and out but what do you make of the story of the poor woman that came about her daughter wasn't he rough to her it always seemed to me such a cruel thing to talk of throwing the meat of the children to the dogs we cannot judge of the world until we know the spirit that gave birth to it let me ask you a question what would you take for the greatest proof of downright friendship a man could show you. That is too hard a question to answer all at once. Well, I may be wrong, but the deepest outcome of friendship seems to me, on the part of the superior at least, the permission, or better still, the call to share in his sufferings. And in saying that hard word to the poor Gentile, our Lord honored her thus mightily. He assumed for the moment the part of the Jew towards the Gentile that he might, for the sake of all the world of Gentiles and Jews, lay bare to his Jewish followers the manner of spirit they were of, and let them see what a lovely humanity they despised in their pride of election. He took her to suffer with him for the salvation of the world. The cloud overshadowed them both, but what words immediately thereafter made a glory in her heart? He spoke to her as if her very faith had reached an arm into the heavens, and brought therefrom the thing she taught. But I confess, the curate went on, those two passages have both troubled me. So I presume will everything that is God's until it becomes a strength and a light by revealing its true nature to the heart that has grown capable of understanding it. The first sign of the coming capacity and the coming joy is the anxiety and the question. There is another passage which, although it does not trouble me so much, I cannot yet get a right perception of. When Mary Magdalene took the master of death for the gardener, the gardener of the garden of the tombs. No great mistake, was it? It was a lovely thing, that mistaking of Jesus for the gardener. How the holy and the lowly, yea, the holy and the common, meet on all sides. Just listen to their morning talk, 
the morning of the eternal open world to Jesus, while the shadows of this narrow life still clustered around Mary. I can give it to you exactly, for I was reading it this very day. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Mary, Master, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Why did he say, Do not touch me? It could not be that there was any defilement to one in the new body of the resurrection from the contact with one still in the old garments of humanity. But could it be that there was danger to her in the contact? Was there something in the new house from heaven hurtful to the old tabernacle? I can hardly believe it. Perhaps it might be. But we must look at the reason the Master gives, only of all words hard to understand, the little conjunctions are sometimes the hardest. What can that for mean? Touch me not for I am not yet ascended to my Father. Does it mean I must first present myself to the Father? I must first have his hand laid on this body, new risen from the grave? I must go home first? The child must kiss his mother first, then his sisters and brothers. Was it so with Jesus? Was he so glad in his father that he must carry even the human body he had rescued eternal from the grave home to show him first? There are many difficulties about the interpretation, and even if true, it would still shock every heart whose devotion was less than absolutely childlike. Was not God with him, as close to him as even God could come to his eternal Son, in him, one with him, all the time? How could he get nearer to him by going to heaven? What headquarters, what court of place and circumstances should the eternal, immortal, invisible hold? And yet, if from him flow time and space, although he cannot be subject to them, if his son could incarnate himself, cast the living, responsive, elastic, flowing, evanishing circumstance of a human garment around him, if, as Novelist says, God can become whatever he can create, then may there not be some central home of God, holding relation even to time and space and sense? But I am bewildered about it. Jesus stood then in the meeting point of both worlds, or rather in the skirts of the great world that enfolds the less. I am talking like a baby, for my words cannot compass or even represent my thoughts. This world looks to us the natural and the simple one, and so it is, absolutely fitted to our need in education. But there is that in us which is not at home in this world, which I believe holds secret relations with every star, or perhaps, rather, with that in the heart of God whence issued every star, diverse in kind and character, as in color and place and motion and light. To that in us, this world is so far strange and unnatural and unfitting, and we need a yet homelier home. Yea, no home at last will do, but the home of God's heart. Jesus, I say, was now looking on one side 
into the region of a deeper life, where his people, those that knew their own when they saw him, would one day find themselves tenfold at home, while on the other hand he was looking into the region of their present life, which custom and faithfulness make them afraid to leave. But we need not fear what the new conditions of life will bring, either for body or heart, for they will be nearer and sweeter to our deeper being, as Jesus is nearer and dearer than any man, because he is more human than any. He is all that we can love or look for, and at the root of that very loving and looking, in my father's house there are many mansions, he said. Matter, time, space are all gods, and whatever may become of our philosophies, whatever he does with or in respect of time, place, and what we call matter, his doing must be true in philosophy as well as fact. But I am wandering. The curate was wandering, but the liberty of wandering was essential to his talking with the kind of freedom and truth he wanted to mediate betwixt his pupil and the lovely things he saw. I wonder where the penitent thief was all the time, said Leopold. Yes, uh, that also is a difficulty. There again come in the bothering time and space, bothering in their relation to heavenly things, I mean. On the Friday the penitent thief, as you call him, was to be with Jesus in paradise. And now it was Sunday, and Jesus said he had not yet been up to see his father. Some would say, I am too literal, too curious. What can Friday and Sunday have to do with paradise? But words mean in both worlds, for they are not two but one, surely at least when Jesus thinks and speaks of them. And there can be no wrong in feeling ever so blindly and dully after what they mean. Such humble questioning can do no harm, even in the face of the facts. The questions be as far off and silly, in the old sweet meaning of the word, as those of any infant concerning a world he has not proved. But about Mary Magdalene, he must have said the word, touch me not. That could not have crept in. It is too hard for an interpolation, I think. And if no interpolation, it must mean some deep good thing we don't understand. One thing we can make sure of, it was nothing that should hurt her. For see what follows. But for that, when he said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, she might have thought, ah, thou hast thy father to go to, and thou wilt leave us for him. But he went on, go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and my God, and your God. What more could she want? Think, the father of Jesus, with whom, in all his knowledge, and all his suffering, the grand heart was perfectly, exultingly satisfied. That father he calls our father, too. He shares with his brethren of his best, his deepest, his heartiest, most secret delight, and makes it their and his most open joy. He shares his eternal father with us, his perfect God with his brethren. And yet whatever his not having yet ascended to him may mean, we see with marvel and joy that what delayed him, even though for some reason perfect in tenderness as in truth he would not be touched, was love to Mary Magdalene and his mother and his brethren. 
he could not go to the father without comforting them first and certainly whatever she took the touch-me-not to mean or point at it was nothing that hurt her it just strikes me is it possible he said it in order to turn the overwhelming passion of her joy which after such a restoration would have clung more than ever to the visible presence and would be ready to suffer the pains of death yet again when he parted from her might it be to turn that torrent into the wider an ever-widening channel of joy in his everlasting presence to the innermost being his communion heart to heart with every child of his father in our poor weakness and narrowness and self-love even of jesus the bodily may block out the spiritual nearness which however in most moods we may be unable to realize the fact is and remains a thing unutterably lovelier and better and dearer enhancing tenfold what vision of a bodily presence may at some time be granted us but how any woman can help casting herself heart and soul at the feet of such a lowly grandeur such a tender majesty such a self-dissolving perfection i cannot imagine the truth must be that those who kneel not have not seen you do not once read of a woman being against him except indeed it was his own mother when she thought he was going all astray and forgetting his high mission the divine love in him towards his father in heaven and his brethren of men was ever melting down in conscious individuality in sweetest showers upon individual hearts he came down like rain upon the mown grass like showers that water the earth no woman no man surely ever saw him as he was and did not worship Helen turned and glided back into the house, and neither knew she had been there. End of chapter 83